OnlineAmmo.com. Their mission, your ammunition. Now is the time to stock up if you want the best selection of hard-to-find ammo. Friendly and knowledgeable customer service, quality and selection you can count on, and the ammo you need delivered fast right to your door. OnlineAmmo.com is the real deal. And my buddy Hank Hayes, the VP of OnlineAmmo.com and Master of Firearms Training and Self-Protection, wants you to have the code SHIP FREE NOW on all orders over $200. OnlineAmmo.com is more than just an ammo retailer. They also have optics, accessories, and firearms for sale at OnlineAmmo.com. Their mission, your ammunition. OnlineAmmo.com. said it twice let's go we are locked and we are loaded on the shooting straight radio podcast this is the podcast all about firearms the second amendment and all things pertaining thereto. and i am royce your host yep still reeking of gunshot residue toxic masculinity and just an ever so faint and tantalizing whiff of the cologne of my people hops number nine bringing it to you with both barrels you better believe it no suppressor 100 percent felt recoil always the facts about firearms here on the shooting straight radio podcast so let's get into some things here first i want to welcome mr tim williford aboard as the most recent patreon sponsor Tim, I really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. I know you've been a long-time listener. I've had the pleasure of meeting you in person, and I really appreciate everything you do to stand up for our rights. And your sponsorship is hugely appreciated, brother. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. If you want to be a Patreon sponsor with Mr. Williford and many others, you can go to patreon.com forward slash shooting straight radio podcast. You'll get first access to all episodes, not to mention some really cool merchandise and media content that other people just don't get so go to patreon.com forward slash shooting straight radio podcast and become a sponsor today for as little as five dollars also, if you want to check me out at the Shooting Straight Radio podcast page on Farcebook, you can communicate with me through there if you like. You can shoot me a message there. I always respond. Maybe not immediately because sometimes I'm at work, but I will always get back to you. So shoot me a message there and I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. All right. You can also see the links to several of the most popular podcast platforms there, Spotify, iHeartMedia, iHeartRadio, uh, Amazon Music, Apple, Google, the the link to the, uh, what should I say, the main page of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast on those platforms is right there on the page. Click on it. It will take you there. Now, you got to hear Mr. Luis Valdez recently on the program, and you'll be hearing him yet again. He is a little, what I call him, the Cuban constitutionalist. He's also quite a pit bull. I will tell you what, he is a fighter for our rights. He is the director for Florida, for Gun Owners of America. He gave me a call Saturday to inform me. Uh, he had a talk with our sheriff here, Sheriff Wayne Ivey. And Sheriff Ivey's, uh, what should I say, 
loyalty to the Second Amendment had been called into question with me recently, and I didn't have all the facts in front of me. Well, Mr. Luis Valdez, being the pit bull that he is, got to meet with Sheriff Ivey and asked him point blank where he stood on constitutional carry. And I am very happy to report that Sheriff Wayne Ivey told him very plainly in no uncertain terms that he's very much in favor of constitutional carry, including open carry. So there you have it. If you were questioning Sheriff Ivey and his loyalty to the Constitution, not in the Second Amendment in particular, there you have it. Right from his mouth, and Mr. Luis Valdez, he relayed that to me, uh, like I said, Saturday. So I'm very, very glad to hear that. So I want to get into something. There's a, a survey. It was a, done in 2021, a national firearms survey. And this was a very scientifically done survey. This wasn't just some study that was engineered to produce desired results. This A, a real study is designed to get the facts as close as possible. And apparently this was one of those studies. It was done at Georgetown McDonough School of Business. It was a research paper and it was put out by Mr. William English. This was actually done on July 14th of last year. And I'm going to give you just the, I'm not going to go through the entire thing. There's a lot of it is just mundane, you know, information and probably bore you to death. And I don't like doing boring podcasts. So uh, the survey, I'm going to read a little bit directly from the study. It says the online survey was administered to a representative sample of approximately 54,000 U.S. residents aged 18 and over, and it identified 16,708 gun owners in that, in that group who were, in turn, asked in-depth questions about their ownership and their use of firearms including defensive uses of firearms. Now, uh, listen really close to these facts. They are very, very telling. And they blow a lot of the anti-Second Amendment people, the pro-infringement and their, and their idiotic arguments, right out of the water. I know, shocker, huh? It says, consistent with other re uh, recent survey research, the survey finds an overall rate of adult firearm ownership of 31.9%. Okay, America, we need to get those numbers up. Suggesting that in excess of 81.4 million Americans aged 18 and over own firearms. Well, again, this is a study. I personally believe the number's a lot higher than that. But this was a very scientifically done study. They took a cross-section of society, and they did a, a very thorough job in their research, I believe. It says the survey further finds that approximately a third of gun owners, that is 31.1%, have used a firearm to defend themselves or their property, often on more than one occasion. And it estimates that guns are used defensively by firearms owners in approximately 1.67 million million incidents per year. Uh, Y'all want to hear that again? 1.67 million incidents per year. Now, this certainly bolsters Dr. Gary Kleck's um, study where he said Americans defend themselves with firearms between one and a half to two million times a year. Well, this certainly falls right in line with Dr. Kleck's study. So something to think about. Um, it says handguns are the most common firearm employed for self-defense used in 65.9% of all defensive incidents and in most defensive incidents, 81.9%, no shot was fired. And you've heard me talk about that here on this program. I assumed a lot higher number had been incidents where no shot was fired. But I'll trust a scientific study over Royce's guesstimation. And I've said it before on this program. Most defensive shooting incidents or defensive gun uses, I should say, uh, there's not a shot fired. Bad guy sees gun. Bad guy says, okay, I need to either find another line of work or at least uh, get out of this one for the day anyway. I don't feel like being shot. And that's good. That's optimum. Hopefully he went and reevaluated his career choices and maybe found the Lord and turned over a new leaf and went on the straight and narrow. One can only hope. 
The study continued, says a quarter, approximately a quarter, 25.2% of defensive incidents occurred within the gun owner's home. Okay, let that sink in, people, because that's not an an insignificant number. You say you have, let's say there's 100 defensive gun uses. 25 of those happen inside someone's home. What this really drives home is that you should never assume you're safe, even within your own home. You should always have something at the ready to defend yourself with in your own home. Yes, I know it's your castle, but bad people come and try to invade your castle sometimes and do bad things. So, 25% of these shootings take place inside your home. Okay, I hope that you're listening that when as you listen to this, you're going to start making plans to fortify your home so that someone cannot with a swift kick just simply kick uh, you know splinter the jam on your front door and walk right in. They'll be on top of you before you can get to your gun. I guarantee you unless you're wearing it. So I think you need to take steps to fortify the door jams, the exterior door jams of your home. And if you have sliding glass doors in the rear, a good old piece of broomstick or dowel rod cut to fit between the, the back of the door and the track uh, laid in there like a, in a good old medieval uh, door block, that thing works fine. It's primitive, but it works. They might jimmy the lock. They might even bust it, whatever. But they, you know, they're not going to get that stick out of there. It's laying in there. But a door jam needs to be fortified, and there's ways to do it. And uh, I, I used to fortify people's homes. I've done my own, matter of fact. And you can do it with a, a builder's strap, the kind that you use to uh, lash trusses down to top plates on homes and things like that. A 16-inch strap. And uh, you can there's – there's, I, I don't have time to really explain it without making it boring. But anyway, you can use those things to fortify your door to where it's kick-proof, literally. So some things to think about. 25% of all defensive gun uses happen inside the home. Now, people, that's just the defensive gun uses. How many more home invasion type incidents happened without the homeowner being able to defend themselves? Well, it happens a lot. That's the bad part. Back to the surveys as approximately half, that is 53.9% of incidents. Now listen to this very carefully because you really want to pay attention to this. It's going to, I'm, I'm going to draw out something on this one. Approximately half, 53.9% of defensive gun uses occurred outside of the home, but on their property. Hmm. Well, I started thinking about that and doing some chewing on some things, and I started realizing that a lot of the defensive gun uses I talk about here on this program happen in people's front yards. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, bad guy is waiting in your bushes, waiting for you to come home, get the front door open, and he's going to shove you in. Once you get the door open, shut the door behind you, and then once, they, once he's got you trapped, you're in trouble. Or it might be multiple people. Or it might be an angry neighbor, or it could be somebody simply driving by and shooting into your house, which has happened sometimes totally randomly. So, uh, so many people I see out front of their homes and, you know, just really carefree, like nothing bad could happen. Uh, out there doing yard work, and I do yard work. I mowed the yard yesterday, pulled some weeds, did all sorts of things, and the entire time, there's a loaded pistol in my right pocket and a spare magazine in my other side, on the left side. Why? Because these incidents happen a lot of times right in people's front yards. Over half of them. Let that sink in. I guess the question I'm going to ask you is when you walk outside the front door of your house, do you have a firearm with you? Or you, do you just assume that nothing bad could possibly happen? What if you walk out the front door of your house to take your garbage out? Because I've read stories here on this program where people were taking the garbage out and were attacked by bad people. Mm-hmm. 
And I could go on and on. There's countless instances. So, it said also about one out of 10, that is 9.1 defensive gun uses, occurred in public at about one out of 20, 4.8%, occurred at work. Wow. Employers, take notice. Do you have one of those idiotic no guns allowed policies? Well, I tell you what, if someone carries a firearm regularly, maybe you should let them carry at work. Okay? Because telling them, well, we can't have that because what if you get mad and go off and start, you know, just start popping caps? Uh, well, I'll tell you what, what needs to happen there. The other employees need to be able to defend themselves. That's what. Yeah, you let them carry their firearms at work if they, if they can. Because how many workplace shootings do we read about in the news and hear about on the news? Hmm. So the majority of gun owners, 56.2%, indicate that they carry a handgun for self-defense in at least some of those circumstances. And about 35% of gun owners report carrying a handgun with some frequency. Well, we need to get those numbers up, too. It says the estimate is that approximately 20.7 million gun owners, 26.3%, carry a handgun in public under some sort of concealed carry regime. And 34.9% of gun owners report that there have been instances in which they wanted to carry a handgun for self-defense, but local rules did not allow them to carry. Yes, local rules made up by ignorant people who don't understand the dynamics of criminality and crime. Crime can happen anywhere at any time. And when you herd everybody into your place and tell them you can't be armed, you are creating a big target-rich environment, and you are inviting you are inviting the bad guys there. You want to you if you want to just lay the groundwork and, and basically enable a mass shooting event. You go ahead and put those gun free zone uh, gun free zone signs up at your business and tell people they can't carry guns in your business. Go ahead and do that. You are inviting it. Defenselessness invites slaughter it invites evil it doesn't stop anybody and that stinking stupid sign you posted won't hurt, won't stop anybody either my goodness so people want to carry guns for self-defense but local rules say you can't whether it was a rule at a private business or maybe a municipal rule or some even a city rule or a state rule or something like that. Uh, people want to carry guns to defend themselves. You, no, you can't do that. You know, when, 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 a, when an authority tells you that you may not carry what's necessary to defend yourself, what they're essentially telling you is that you're not responsible enough, you're not mature enough, you're not sensible enough and uh, to carry a firearm to defend yourself. That's what they're doing. They're insulting you. And they're basically telling you, no, it's better for you to be a victim in waiting than for you to be able to defend yourself. That's what they're saying, whether they want to admit it or not. Back to the study, the average gun owner owns five firearms. We need to get those numbers up, too. My goodness, those are rookie numbers. It says, and handguns are the most common type of firearm owned. 48% of gun owners have owned magazines that hold over 10 rounds. California, you listening? And 30.2% of gun owners, uh, totaling about 24.6 million individuals, have owned AR-15 or similarly styled rifles. Okay. Well, I'm glad to hear that, but we need to get those numbers up too. My goodness. Everybody... Every responsible American needs to own at least several handguns and a couple of AR-15s and at least several thousand rounds of ammunition on hand. Uh, would you think I'm crazy? Huh? Do you think that sounds radical? Uh, maybe because you've been listening to too much of the mainstream media tell you that, uh, that a man arrested with three rifles and 500 rounds of ammunition had some sort of an arsenal at his house. Yeah. Most of the people that I hang with have multiple thousands of rounds of ammunition at their house and at least 10 firearms. Hmm. Shocking, huh? And they're the most law-abiding, responsible people on the planet. So, 
We're going to take a brief commercial break and come back and look into some more things about this study that are very, very interesting on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. Stick around, or I will send Captain Rob and the Listener Retention Squad out to your house to pay you a visit, and you don't want that. Shootingclasses.com. If you are a firearms instructor, that's the only logical place to run your firearms business from. Shootingclasses.com. You can set up your page there, set up your profile, set up your classes, take payments there. Your certificates are auto-generated. Rosters are auto-generated. And also sends emails out to your students before the class, reminding them at least a week or two out, they have a class coming up. And uh, I can't find any other platform out there where it makes sense to run your business from if you're a firearms instructor. Everything's right there. Even even if you want to print your financial reports come tax time, it's all right there at shootingclasses.com. If you're a student, uh, set up an account out there and you get matched up with some serious, serious firearms instructors. Men like David Boone Benton, Israel Matos, Chris Tonto Peranto and guys like that, Bill Orndorff, Bruce Corey. Those are the guys that actually founded shootingclasses.com. It is, I'll tell you what, it's genius. And it simply doesn't make sense to try to run your business from any other platform. Shootingclasses.com. Counter-Strike Tactical is the best little gun store in Melbourne and proud sponsors of the Shooting Straight Radio Podcast. Visit us at 1008 Strawbridge Avenue and see the custom AR builds by Anthony Vallejo, owner and combat veteran, plus go-to weapons brand rifles, AR-15s, AK-47s, handguns, ammo, tactical rifle accessories, and more. Anthony also offers laser engraving and Cerakote. So stop in at 1008 Strawbridge Avenue and visit the best little gun store in Melbourne or call 321-499-4949 and tell Anthony that Roy sent you. And welcome back. We are looking at a study uh, about firearms and firearms owners. And there's been some interesting little tidbits thus far. One of them being, of course, something that we've known for some time. People defend themselves with firearms in America 1.63 million, 1.63 million times per year. Well over one and a half million times every year. And now we're going to look at the demographics of gun owners. Uh, who and what, what, which of the sexes uh, make, you know, makes up more of the demographic of gun owners, which uh, which race of people, things like that. That's what this covers. And they found out that 42.2% of gun owners are female. Good, ladies. I've told you before, you are one of the main target demographics of bad people because they think because you're a woman that they can scare you quickly into compliance with their demands and their designs. And, and they start they're thinking that as long and, you know, until the point you pull the trigger and suddenly that changes their mind. So, ladies, arm yourselves, get trained, and start carrying your firearm regularly. 42.2% of you do it now. Good. Glad to hear that. 57.8% were male, of course. And since there are no other genders than those two, yeah, I went there, then that's going to do it for that one. Now, 25.4% of black Americans own firearms. And my fellow Americans who are black, let's get those numbers up. All right? Yeah, I said that. Get those numbers up. Get some training. Get a firearm and start carrying a firearm to defend yourself. You have every right to do that. And 28.3% of Hispanics own firearms. And again, if you're a law-abiding citizen of this United States, buy all the firearms you want, regardless of your race, your sex, your religion, your creed, your color, anything else. 19.4% of Asians own firearms, and 34.3% of white people own firearms. And I am in that you know, particular demographic myself. 
So I got to looking at some other stats uh, outside of this study that we just referenced, and I've noticed some really wild stuff that certainly, um, especially this one uh, study where a number of justifiable homicides by law enforcement officers and private citizens in the United States from two, 2007 to 2020. I mean, uh, 2020, yeah, 2020. So these are stats of justifiable homicides. And what's really wild is you start from about mm, the year 2007 And from 2007 all the way to 2018, all right, 11-year span, law enforcement shootings always rise above the regular citizen shootings on this graph. And, you know, for, for the most part, by a pretty good number. And then, suddenly, in 2019, they they basically changed places on the graph. And I started thinking, well, what started happening in 2019 and now and all the way to 2020? It's got even the, the the disparity's gotten even greater. So, well, what's been happening from 2019? And I started thinking about all the unrest in this country, all the communists up there rioting, looting, smashing, burning, and the police profession being denigrated and uh, uh, basically disdained and people wanting to defund it and everything else and making, literally making police officers afraid to do their jobs because of some high-profile cases that painted every one of them into uh, uh, into a bad light and basically impugned the entire profession. That's what was starting around 2018-2019, because in 2018, the little graph here showing the, the police shootings next to the civilian shootings the civilian shootings weren't that far below the police shootings. But then in 2019, it shot up above pretty significantly. Well, what does that tell you? Well, I believe what I, I tell you what I think it tells me. When you cut into that thin blue line and you start, what should I say, defunding it and basically hampering the police profession criminality and the and the crime rate begins to rise. And when the crime rate begins to rise, they begin to inflict themselves upon the law-abiding citizens of society. And the law-abiding, the law-abiding citizens of society are forced to start defending themselves with greater regularity. And I believe that's what this graph shows, because in 2020, it's even higher, much more uh, justifiable homicides by citizens than by police. And I'm willing to bet that when the next studies come out for 2021 and 2022, it's going to be even worse. I really do believe that. Something to think about. When you cut into that thin blue line, there, look, folks, I can tell you just like, you know, just with, with absolute certainty, that yes, there are some bad actors in the law enforcement profession. We've all seen them. Yes, I understand there are, but that does not do away with the necessity that we have a police department in our local city, a sheriff's department in our county, even a state, even state troopers within each state. You know, I, I said this a couple of podcasts ago. How many doctors kill people every year? But you know what? Doctors are still necessary. Same thing with law enforcement. When you start, when you start hampering and and what should I say, um, gelding the police profession, uh, what do you think happens? Especially in conjunction with. Soros-appointed attorneys, uh, district attorneys, who refuse to prosecute felons and violent people or have uh, let them out early to where they can have gang battles in the middle of the street, like happened recently in Sacramento. Yeah, that in conjunction with, what should I say, hampering the police profession with bad publicity and everything else, the automatic, what should I say, consequence of that 
is the citizenry will have to defend themselves at a much higher rate. And I believe that's exactly what this graph shows. I really do. So now, as I said, I believe that, you know, there are some bad actors out there. Yep. I mean, with, without a doubt, I understand that there are bad actors. Matter of fact, I've met a couple of them. Matter of fact, a couple of them I told, be thankful to God that I have more respect for your badge than you do. And there's been a couple of them that I've filed complaints against even. Yes. But those were the minute few. Mm-hmm. The majority of them were some of the most decent, caring people that I ever had the honor of meeting. And I'm going to tell you a little personal story, as a matter of fact. I'm going to try to do it without choking up, because every time I think about it, or any time I relay the story, I just get choked up about it. Uh, when I was younger, I was not the smartest young man on the planet. I went to stupid places with stupid people and did stupid things. I was uh, literally homeless at one point, living out of my car. And I was uh, coming over the Melbourne Causeway here in the city of Melbourne, going too fast because I was watching my heat gauge start to climb, and I had a feeling I knew what the problem was. I've been having some trouble with my water pump. I had actually whittled a stick uh, as a cork and pounded it into this one hole, uh, this one place on my water pump. And uh, when it swelled up with water, it, it worked pretty good. And uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, some serious, you know, ghetto engineering, I should say, or what I, what I call some uh, Georgia engineering. And um, but it worked. OK, but I could tell something happened because I was watching my heat gauge climb and I'm coming over the bridge. So I sped up to about 60 to 65 miles an hour to get to the crest of the bridge. And then I put my, my uh, 72 Plymouth Duster in neutral and just let myself glide down to the bottom so I could, you know, uh, take, the, take the stress off the engine. I didn't want it overheating and blowing up. And what I was going to do was I was going to get pulled over somewhere, going to go find me a stick off a tree or something and whittle me a new, a new plug for my, for my, uh, my water pump. But And a deputy got behind me and pulled me over. And um, I had been having just nothing but a run of bad, bad luck. And bad things have been happening to me. And that was just kind of like the the frosting on the cake, man. I was just, I was ready to give up, really. And he pulled me and says, why are you going so fast? And I, as best as I could, explained to him. And he says, really, that really works? Willing a stick? I said, yeah, it's been working. It's all I've had. Why don't you get it fixed? I said, well, I'm in and out of jobs, and I've been living in my car, you know. And uh, and I started getting choked up, and he could tell. I had turned my face away from him so I could, you know, wipe a tear out of my eye because I was just feeling sorry for myself, I guess. And... Uh, he says, all right, well, just stand by, man. Let me, uh, let me just check you out here. And he takes my license and, um, and it was expired. And, uh, he says, you know, your driver's license is expired. I said, yes, sir. I, I know. And I just haven't had the money to go get it, fit, you know, get it renewed. He says, hmm. well, you know, you can't be driving around here with an expired driver's license. I said, yes, sir. I, I know, I know it's wrong. I, I don't have much choice. I'm, I'm trying to find work and. Uh, and just gave him, you know, gave him the truth. And he says, all right, well, sit tight. Be right back. He came back um, a few minutes later. He says, all right, Royce, uh, I want you to slow it down out here, man. I hope you get that thing fixed. And, uh, and he hands me my driver's license. And underneath my driver's license was a $20 bill. And uh, this, this is the choked up part, okay? <laughs> And he says, there you go, man. I'm not going to give you a ticket. You got you got enough trouble already, buddy. I, I wish you well. And he had a prayer with me there on the side of the road. And I'll never forget that as long as I live. And every time I hear some of this crap where people start talking about defund the police and that every police officer is evil and they denigrate every last one of them in the profession, I think back to that deputy that did the one of the a huge act of kindness to uh, a stupid young man on the side of the road there on the side of the Melbourne Causeway. And I want to go punch 
whoever is, is denigrating police officers and blanketing them all under one big condemnation. We can't do that. We can't do that. Listen, gun owners, we don't like it when we are all cast under a blanket of condemnation, whenever some wacko walks in and shoots a bunch of people up, let's not join that crowd that denigrates the entire profession because of the actions of one or two bad apples. Do you follow what I'm saying? Listen to me on purpose. I, I, I want to talk to you from my heart. All right. The reason I'm talking about this is because this next story, uh, I'm going to point out that a police officer did something wrong. Uh, I, I don't know that he was malicious in doing it. I don't. I'm, there's nothing in here that says he had a bad attitude, nothing like that. This is actually a story by Luis Valdez. He writes for uh, The Truth About Guns, uh, an online publication that I, I read often. And a Florida man was arrested after defending himself and his girlfriend with a gun, but he didn't have a carry permit. And this is why I despise the permitting process more than anything, because if there wasn't a permitting process in place, there there would be no need for this officer to ever have arrested this guy. Um, There was no need anyway, but what I'm saying is there wouldn't have been uh, even a question from the officer as to why he had a gun. I guess that's the best way to put it. And here's the story by Luis Valdez. It says the Gainesville Police Department responded to a call of a physical altercation at about 2 a.m. on March 27th. Adam Benjamin Cameron of Ocala and his girlfriend were walking with some friends when they were accosted and physically attacked by Antoine Jerome Downs, who was with another group. Okay, first of all, young people, it's 2 a.m. Why are you still out on the street? Hmm? That's when the bad people are out on the street looking for stupid people like you, okay? Yeah, go ahead and curfew yourself. That's the best advice I can give you. Downs allegedly struck Mr. Cameron's girlfriend in the face and pushed her to the ground. Okay, first of all, if you're going to haul off and punch a woman in the face, you need your backside whipped really bad. Just throwing that out there. All right, back to the story. Downs allegedly struck his girlfriend in the face and pushed her to the ground, after which Cameron was also hit in the face with a closed fist. He was reportedly ble- bleeding profusely from his nose. That's when he got, uh, that's, that's when he got, a, he retrieved a firearm from his vehicle. The Alachua Chronicle describes what happened next. The officer who arrested Cameron wrote that he observed the two groups in a verbal altercation and then saw Cameron produce a gun and pull the slide back to chamber around. Post Miranda, in other words, after his he had been Mirandized, Cameron, who does not have a concealed carry permit, reportedly said that after he and his girlfriend were attacked, he went to get the gun out of his truck to defend them. He said he had chambered around in the hope that the other group would leave. Okay, understand that. Uh, first of all, when you went to your truck, why didn't you take your girlfriend with you? Hmm. Now, why would you leave her there to possibly be assaulted even more? Okay, just throwing that out there. Um, in the end, Downs was arrested and charged uh, with simple battery. That is uh, Antoine there, the, the, uh, the assailant, was charged with simple battery. It's a misdemeanor of the first degree. Cameron is facing a misdemeanor charge of carrying a firearm uh, in his vehicle without a carry permit. Now, this is where the officer messed up, in my not-so-humble opinion. Actually, this is my educated opinion because I teach Statute 790 and Statute 776, both Florida statutes. I teach them in Florida concealed carry classes three times a month. So I do. I know a little bit of what I'm talking about here, okay? And even Mr. Luis Valdez, who is a former police officer himself, he said that uh, he says, I never would have arrested Mr. Cameron, especially since he had he was the victim of a crime. and was exercising his Second Amendment rights in an attempt to protect himself and his girlfriend from a violent attacker. And he said this is precisely why Florida needs constitutional carry. And I agree with that. Can't argue with that one bit. When we come back from this little brief commercial break, I'm going to give you my two cents on the whole thing, on why I believe the officer was wrong. And while the victim 
he, you know, didn't do anything really wrong. He, you know, like I said, he made some poor judgment. I mean, why would you leave your girlfriend back there to be assaulted more while you run to your truck and get your gun? Anyway, we'll be right back on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast, so don't go anywhere. Be right back. I'm Stephen Shoemaker, and I serve as a Sergeant E-5 in the United States Marine Corps. Throughout the Corps' rich history, the rifle has been the go-to weapon of choice for all Marines, as we defended ourselves, our brothers, and our country. I am proud to be part of go-to weapons and to have a hand in building high-quality rifles and pistols on the AR platform, weapons that I would confidently carry into any area of operations as my go-to. We built rifles for both the military and the civilian market. We know quality. We built quality. We are quality. Go-to weapons. Check us out at go2weapons.com. Simplify. My buddies out of WJS Guns in Merritt Island, Bill Stasak and Dalton and Troy and the gang out there do a fine job taking care of all their customers, including law enforcement officers who want to buy blue-labeled firearms. He's a blue-label dealer for multiple manufacturers, also very female-friendly. They do a great job serving all of their customers. They will get you squared away and well-regulated in your Second Amendment rights. He offers handguns, long guns, a great selection of 1791 gun leather brand holsters, also body armor, uh, ammunition, uh, magazines. What are you looking for? Bill's got you covered out there at WJS Guns. Check him out at WJSGuns.com. If you want to do some fishing, he's got you covered with fishing tackle. Bill is a total outdoor store. WJSGuns.com. Check him out there. Do make sure you tell him you heard about him on the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. So back to this story about this young man being arrested for having a firearm in his vehicle, but not a carry permit. And for some reason, the officer saw fit to arrest him. Well, first of all, I'm going to say this again. Any law that keeps you from under threat of penalty of, you know, court, jail, fines, anything like that, any law that inhibits you from freely keeping and bearing firearms to defend yourself against any and all known threats is an illegal law. It is absolutely illegal. Okay? Plain and simple. It's a violation of the Constitution, the supreme law of the land, and therefore, in my opinion, and not just my opinion, but the Supreme Court's opinion in two different cases, null and void. Okay? So this man was not only within his rights to do what he did, but he was also within the confines of Florida's constitutionally illegal law. And I believe the arresting officer needs to be educated about this. And several of my law enforcement friends who read this story also chimed in and said, yep, that guy definitely uh, overstepped himself. He had no business arresting that young man. And they agreed with me. They said that, matter of fact, one of my law enforcement officer friends, he uh, he was a law enforcement officer 37 years, so he does know what he's talking about. He said this guy could, this, this officer in particular, uh, that his qualified immunity is in jeopardy here and could be nullified and he could be facing legal trouble for his actions. Now, Florida's statute, all right, the statute 790 and 0.25, this is possession of a firearm in a private conveyance, okay? I'm going to read it to you verbatim. This is the statute itself, It says, notwithstanding subsection 2, it is lawful and is not a violation of statute 790.01 for a person 18 years of age or older to possess a concealed firearm or other weapon for self-defense or other lawful purpose within the interior of a private conveyance without a license if the firearm or other weapon is securely encased 
or is not otherwise readily accessible for immediate use. Well, let me go ahead and give you the, the state's definition of both of those terms, securely encased and readily accessible for immediate use. Some of you may have heard that there's a three-step rule in Florida. That is a steaming pile of bull fertilizer. There's no such verbiage in the statute. All right. I don't know where that came from besides somebody's imagination, but it's not true. By the way, what constitutes a move or a step? And that's a totally subjective, idiotic law. The state of Florida has it laid out very succinctly and very distinctly in the statute. Securely encased means in a glove compartment. Okay, yeah, some people say, well, you shouldn't carry it in a glove compartment, and if you do, it's got to be locked. Nope, let me read the statute. Securely encased means in a glove compartment, whether or not locked. This is word for word from the statute, okay? Snapped it or snapped in a holster or in a gun case, whether or not locked, or in a zippered gun case or in a closed box or container, which requires a lid or cover to be opened for access, Okay. Now you say, well, yeah, well, his gun was loaded and he chambered around. What well, you know what? What does the statute say? It says you have the right without a permit to keep a firearm for self-defense or other lawful purpose within the interior of a private conveyance without a license if the firearm or other weapon is securely encased or is otherwise not readily accessible for immediate use. Now, it doesn't say in the article where the young man kept the firearm, but... It, it, I mean, if it's going to be, you know, available for self-defense, then there has to be ammunition in the gun, okay? Yeah. An empty gun is nothing but a club. That's all it is, all right? So it says also, nothing herein contained uh, prohibits the carrying of a legal firearm other than a handgun anywhere in a private conveyance when such firearm is being carried for a lawful use. Nothing herein contained shall be construed to authorize the carrying of a concealed firearm or other weapon on the person. In other words, within your private conveyance. Now listen to this last part very, very intently. Listen on purpose. Because this statute is required to be construed in favor of lawful use, ownership, and possession of firearms and other weapons, including lawful self-defense as provided in Statute 776.012. And this is word for word verbatim. It says this subsection shall be liberally construed in favor of the lawful use, ownership, and possession of firearms and other weapons, including lawful self-defense as provided in Statute 776.012. So, that means any decision to arrest or uh, to charge or anything like that, to charge this young man, the, his personal defense is supposed to be the primary factor in making the decision because the purpose behind this statute is for lawful self-defense with a firearm, which the young man was performing. Okay. Well, yeah. How do, how do you know the other guys were armed or not? Hey, I got news for you. Overwhelming numbers is superior force. Mm-hmm. Yes, if you got five people coming on you and they don't have guns, but you do, guess what? Shoot them. If they're going to come, if, if they're, you know, obviously intent on inflicting grave bodily injury and or death, because I want to tell you what, they get you on the ground, start stomping on your head and having a boot party on your face. Uh, yeah, they're, they're not just there to smack you around a little bit and teach you a lesson. Yeah, they want to hurt you really bad. You're not required to accept that simply because they don't have firearms. If I get surrounded by a bunch of young punks who want to have a boot party on my face, well, after 60 trips around the sun, I don't really feel like I'm Bruce Lee anymore, okay? Uh, yeah, the gun's probably going to come out. I'll try pepper spray first, but, it, you know, it all depends on the situation, the proximity, how violent the attack is, and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of deciding factors in there. Yeah, it's probably going to come out. So... Don't think just because a group of punks who assaulted him and his girlfriend 
may or may not have been armed that he had no business pulling a gun out. Well, no, he had every business pulling a gun out. He had to defend himself and defend his girlfriend. And I don't believe this police officer was in the right here. I believe he needs some more training. Matter of fact, I believe um, this is this is my two cents. I think police officers should have to go through extreme constitutional training. More than that, I believe every politician running for office has to first go through a grueling week long exam on the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. That's just my two cents. Because if we were all more cognizant of the supreme law of the land, this stupid law that required this young man to have a permit would not even be in place. This police officer would never have arrested him. Yeah, so while, while you might think that I'm blaming the police officer here, no. No, I'm not. I'm blaming the punk that punched him and his girlfriend. And I'm blaming the politicians that set the stage for this to happen. You follow me? So, keep that in mind. I'm going to leave you with one more thing here, because I keep hearing the semantics games being played between the anti-rights, the pro-infringement crowd, and the uh, pro-Second Amendment supporters, and it needs to stop. Especially when it comes to things like assault weapons. You know, I don't care if you call my AR-15 an assault weapon uh, and give it a, a militaristic term. I really don't care. It doesn't bother me. Call it what you want. Whatever makes you feel better, I mean, you're going to do it anyway, whether I tell you it's stupid or not, so go ahead and call it an assault weapon. You can even call it a military-style weapon, because you know what? Yes, it could be used for military application, because I have the right to own military-style weapons. So while the leftists, the Marxists, always crow about civilians not needing military-style weapons. Um, it seems like the pro-Second Amendment people respond by saying, no, these aren't military weapons. They're modern sporting rifles. Uh, I I'm going to tell you what. They're both wrong. They're both wrong, okay? Civilians, number one, civilians do indeed not only have the right to own such weapons of war, but there is also a definitive need to own them, which I'll explain in just a second. And when pro-Second Amendment Americans adopt terminology like uh, modern sporting rifle, and, and, you know, and, and it seems like they do that in an effort to make AR-15s to appear more innocuous, they're unwittingly giving credence and legitimacy to what's essentially a Nazi-inspired phrase. Because in the 1935 Nazi weapons law, they used the term sporting purposes to give to say only rifles shotguns and handguns with sporting purpose are lawful for the people mhm mm where have you heard that before yeah in our 1968 gun control act here in america that's right and I think if you haven't listened to this program long, I did an expose on how our 1968 Gun Control Act was modeled almost directly from the 1935 Nazi weapons law. That's where that term came from. It doesn't have any sporting purpose. I don't care if it has a sporting purpose or a military purpose. I have the right to own it. And you do too, according to the supreme law of the land. So the term modern sporting rifle was coined to basically counter this idiotic notion that AR-15s are military weapons and they're used for assault. Uh, they're only used for assault by evil people. Okay. When I use mine for defense, it's not an assault rifle. It's a defensive rifle. All right? Yeah. We don't need to offer a justifiable reason to own AR-15s. Our justifiable reason is found in the Second Amendment. It's also found in history. Okay? Justification is not required. Because let's look at history. History is our justification. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. First of all, have governments ever slaughtered their citizens in mass? Yes, they have. There are countless examples 
of such incidents. Russia, Germany, China, Cuba, Romania. Many governments have waxed despotic and have slaughtered their own citizens by the millions. Let me ask you this. Has the United States government ever slaughtered its own citizens? Yep, they sure have many examples there, too. You can start with the ATF uh, basically uh, putting poisoned alcohol into the alcohol supply, the bootleg supply, knowing people would drink it and die. Over 10,000 Americans died. If that's not mass murder, people, I don't know what is. And those are the people in charge of infringing your right for a living. That's what they do. What about wounded knee? Men, women, children shot down by soldiers. Ruby Ridge. Yeah. A 14-year-old boy, a dog, and a woman holding a baby were shot and killed because the incident was sparked by a quarter inch of steel. A shotgun had been sawn down a quarter inch less than the 18-inch requirement, and that started that whole boondoggle in motion. Worse yet, listen to me carefully, more than 63 million infants in this country have been cruelly butchered in their mother's wombs, and this murder was not only sanctioned by the Supreme Court, It has been championed since by scores of elected officials and touted as health care. I'm going to tell you something. Hitler's numbers were kids' numbers compared to that. Joseph Stalin's numbers couldn't come close. Mao Zedong's slaughter of his own people didn't approach that. We've been allowing the most defenseless amongst us to be slaughtered by their own mothers in places that are basically funded by our own government, by, with our own tax money. By the way, abortion is definitive proof that weakness and defenselessness invites genocide. Thirdly, what's the best predictor of future behavior? Past behavior. So therefore, do governments exhibit a propensity towards totalitarianism, trip it over my tongue here, and mass murder? Undoubtedly, when they're not kept in check by the citizenry, that's always the end result. Fifth question, are citizens required to be at the mercy of their government? No, we are not. Sixth, do they have every right, the citizens have every right to defend themselves against immoral government violence and aggression? Yes. Even the government knows that we have the right. That's why they try to tell us, turn in your guns, we'll protect you. What they're saying is, you have the right to be protected, but we'll be the ones protecting you. No, thanks. You protect us all the way to the camps and to the ovens, huh? Seven, what does the citizenry need in order to be able to essentially affect a robust defense against their own government if it is required? We need the same firearms, the same arms for war, that the government wields. Eight. Then what do we, the people, have the right to keep and bear? Weapons of war. By the way, that's what the word arms means in the Second Amendment. Last question. Does our government have any right at all to tell us that we don't need arms for war to defend ourselves against them. Nope. They have no right. It's been codified in our supreme law. Then the last thing I'm going to tell you is, then the debate is over. Mm Mm-hmm. 
If the answers to those questions I just asked are indeed those answers that I just gave, the debate is over. We, the people, are never required by anybody, not even by God himself, to be completely at the defenseless mercy of anybody, and that includes even our own government. How do we defend ourselves against our own government if they decide to wax totalitarian and murderous with the same weapons they have? So don't play that stupid semantics game. No, these aren't weapons for war. These are modern sporting rifles. Yeah, it is a weapon of war. Pray to God you never forced me to use it, all right? That, that'd be my answer. You can call it an assault rifle all you want. You can call it a military-style rifle all you want. I have a right to own it. And if you say I don't, you are part of the problem. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Shooting Straight Radio podcast. I really appreciate all of you listening. I appreciate, again, all of you uh, Patreon sponsors, uh, you guys keeping the show rolling, plus my other sponsors, OnlineAmmo.com, WJS Guns, ShootingClasses.com, Go-To Weapons, and Counter-Strike Tactical. God bless you all. I'll catch you on the next episode. Royce out. So turn it on.